Thank you for tuning in to the Verb Church podcast. For more information about Verb Church, you can go to myverb.church. Now, here's Pastor Shane Tarpley with today's message. I have an amazing privilege and opportunity to introduce our guest speakers. They're not really guests, we just call them that. They're, they've actually, this couple has been with us since day one. I mean, even before there was a day one, honestly. And um, they have a passion for marriages. They have a passion for relationships. They even have a passion for people who have been divorced and are looking for new relationships or helping to heal through that process. And these guys are amazing. They have an incredible capacity to serve husbands and wives and families. And so throughout this entire February series, they're going to be talking to you about different ways to connect and rebuild your relationship, rebuild your connection as husband and wife, how to prepare yourself for a husband or a wife down the road or a, a relationship that you're trying to, trying to hopefully get one day. And so I want you to really lean into them this morning as they begin to unpack this February series. So would you please help welcome to the stage Stacy and Cindy Jefferson! Well, good morning. I hope everybody's having a good time so far. everybody's again having a great time this morning had a lot of things going on violin player how about that (laughs) and I hope you enjoyed your little treat that we gave you as you came in Um, and again just praise and worship was awesome just enjoyed that and I hope you did as well we got a lot of fun stuff going on this month we are going to have some guest speakers we're going to have a panel of married couples up here one week. We're just going to drill them with questions, just have some fun hearing about their journey because everybody's journey is different, right? And we can all learn something from somebody else. So we're going to enjoy that. And we're going to end this month with an amazing testimony from a couple that has just been to the bottom and and fought their way back. And they are so on fire for God. And we're going to enjoy that testimony at the end of the month. But uh, before we get started today... Uh, we got some giveaways, so we want to uh, give some some stuff away, and I hope everybody received a ticket as they came in, and Cindy's going to, if you didn't get one, raise your hand, and we'll get you one real quick. I don't, I don't think Pastor deserves to get a ticket. Yeah, I don't think they count either. We'll bypass that. Okay, hold that. Let me get the gifts. All right, so we're going to get the gifts, and then we're going to give that away. Hope you enjoy these these gifts. They were something that Cindy and I ourselves enjoyed years and years ago, and it really blessed our marriage, and so I hope it blesses yours as well. All right, here we go. Everybody got their tickets out and ready? All right. I hope Peyton gets it so he can read the book. <laughs> You can't find your ticket. Santana, will you give Peyton a ticket? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, you ready, babe? Hold on. We've got to get Peyton and Deidre. Oh, my goodness. You got one? Okay. All right, so here we go. And if you're the winning ticket, just come on up, and and we will bless you with a... A gift. Okay. All right. I think All right, we're ready. Here we go. I'm so nervous. Okay. So. And the trip to Hawaii okay. goes to. So it's. Hallelujah. <laughs> nine two six 
0036. Oh, man. Who's got that? Who's got it? Who's got it? <laughs> yes. Is it Donna? <laughs> All right. We but have he is... to come get the gift. Yeah. Okay, and the next one is nine two six zero one zero. All right, all right, Billy. It's really for Kim, not you, Billy. Yes, yeah, really so, for Kim. Yeah, well, you know that already, right? As Thank long as you know. You. Well, awesome. We will be giving things away every week, so come excited. And uh, again, I, I hope you enjoy that little blessing. This month's series is titled Relationships Made Simple. And it's almost comical when I read that, Relationships Made Simple. We all know relationships usually are not simple, right? Um, the way we deal with them, the way we think of them. But, you know, especially when we talk about the marriage relationship. Just a lot of times that's not simple. And before we start talking about that, Cindy's going to tell you a little bit about us. Um, go ahead, babe. So most of you know, but there are a lot of new faces out here. But Stacy and I have been married. It'll be 25 years in August. So we have been together for a very long time. Um, however, the first 14 years of our marriage was pretty bad. And um, I won't go into detail. I'm sure my mom's watching. So um, <laughs> we just did not have a good relationship. And there was a time when um, we had talked about divorce. Um, and we pretty much knew that was the route that we were going to take. And, um, but I didn't want that because I came from a divorced family. And I didn't want that for my children. So we knew that we only had two choices, either to divorce and pass that down to our children, or we had to fight for something we didn't even want. So we made the decision um, to fight for it, and we went to counseling, and uh, we had an incredible couple counsel us and really help us to get us back on track. And um, the first thing that he told us when we came in was, if God's not the center, this is not going to work, and I'm not going to waste my time. He was pretty direct, and so we just decided, we don't even know what that looks like. How do you put God first in something you don't even want? So um, through a lot of tears, a lot of pain, um, we were able to rebuild our marriage because that's exactly what it had to be. It had to be rebuilt. It couldn't take off from where it was. It had to completely be rebuilt. So um, through that process, we were, um, I think that we love each other more now than we ever have before. And um, there were days we didn't, I didn't want him coming home from work and he didn't want me being there when he got there. But through that, now we're, I'm ready for him to retire because he's gone too much. So anyway, saying that, that is where we came from. And that is why we are so passionate about marriage because we know what the power of God can do if you allow it. You have to allow it, and you have to be willing to do what it takes. And it's not easy. Um, I don't think life is ever easy. So um, through that, we got to where we are now. We counsel. We do marriage counseling. Um, we love premarital counseling because that's our favorite. Um, and so uh, we just decided to do a small group um, that meets Tuesdays or Mondays, the second and fourth week of every month. But um, Kilgore will get into that later. But we decided to do small groups, and so um, this is where we are. So that's where we came from. All right. And so we're going to, again, talk today about the marriage relationship. And, you know, we all know that God created a marriage, right? So in Genesis, I think this is one of the coolest things. I don't know why I told Sandy. I don't know why this is just so cool to me. But... You know, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man, and then all of a sudden, he just goes, wow, Adam needs a, a companion. And I just think that's cool that he noticed that what he had created now needed kind of an improvement. Adam needed a companion. 
And that shows you right there that it was by design by God to create marriage and to have companionship. And he designed that relationship to be perfect. He actually wanted that relationship to be perfect. And, of course, we all know that our relationships aren't perfect because of our sinful nature. We get involved and we kind of mess things up. And, and the same thing with Adam and Eve. It was designed to be perfect. And I want you to hold on to that because if you can remember and believe that your marriage was designed by God to be perfect, that means it was designed to be full of joy, to be full of happiness, to be fruitful, to be attractive to others, you know, and to be productive. And just hold on to that. But because of our sinful nature, we know that we, we kind of mess things up. But that does not mean that we cannot strive to have the best marriage possible. But just know that, that as we strive, God has to be the center of our marriage in order for any of this to work. It just has to be that way. We have to, as individuals in our marriage relationship, we have to pursue God. We have to develop our own personal relationship, but we also, with our spouse together, have to pursue a relationship with God, and then we have to teach our children to pursue their own relationship with God as well. And having God in the center will make your relationship simple. Not perfect, but it will help to make it simple. And I want to say before we dive into what the Bible says about marriage, if you're divorced or single or widowed, God says that in Scripture, that he still wants you to have companionship, to be happy. So this message today is just solid biblical principles about relationships, about marriage. But just know if you are seeking, if you are seeking a spouse, place all your energy on becoming the ideal spouse instead of searching for the ideal spouse. Put God in the center. Make yourself the best Christian you can be. And God will take care of the rest, okay? All right, so let's dive into what the Bible says about Scripture. And I think on the screen, we're going to put up some bullet points, and I can't see it, so I don't know if it's up there or not. Ah, it's right there in front of me. Wow. All right. See, I don't know. <laughs> All right, this is one of my favorites. A marriage is born out of a miracle. It's God's idea. And the Scripture that's referenced is Genesis 2. 18 and then 20 through 24 and the scripture says the Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for him and of course he found that Adam needed a helper he needed a spouse and so we know the scripture he, Adam fell asleep he took a rib from Adam and developed woman but that right there just shows you that it's God's idea to have a companion to have a spouse and he doesn't do anything by accident right everything has a design to it there's a reason for that and I think that's very powerful and then as he took that rib and developed woman and he called her woman it says that that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh how many of y'all know that when there's something broken in the Bible that is a miracle there's always something. There's a blessing. There's a miracle with anything that's broken in the Bible. And there are two miracles right there in that scripture. One is there is a relationship that we have with our mother and father. That is the parental. That's the family relationship. When we get a spouse and we become one with them, that relationship is broken with your, with your parents, with that family unit. And you create a new relationship with your spouse. And that in itself brings blessing. That is a miracle. That that is one relationship broken to form another one. And, of course, the other one is the breaking of the flesh to, to grab the rib and, and, and bring a woman to Adam for companionship. And if you will hold on to that, men, if you will wake up every morning and think about your spouse as being a gift from God, I, I can guarantee you your relationship will be much better, much simpler. Go ahead, babe. So talking about the breaking, the bond that breaks with um, your parents is um, crucial for the union of a husband and a wife. But what we noticed as we were going through scripture and doing some research that, like he said earlier, a lot of good things come out of moments that have been broken. So as we started looking through scripture, of course, the one you just mentioned about the tearing of the flesh the brokenness of the flesh, 
to form woman. Um, that's one breaking there, but something good came out of that, women. So, um, Amen. I mean, that's almost <laughs> perfect. But um, so that's one way. The second way, as we were looking through scripture, is with, we all know the story about the five loaves and the two fish. And there were thousands to feed, and they didn't know how they were going to do that. But they lifted their hands, they broke the bread, and out of that, they fed 5,000 people. Um, the breaking of Jesus himself, the body broken for us so that we could have access to him again. Because sin caused us to be disconnected from him, so he provided a way, and that was through breaking. So a lot of powerful things, a lot of miracles can come when things are broken. Um, you have to be okay with the breaking, and I think that's where people get very afraid that what is it going to cost me to be broken? What, it, what price do I have to pay? But just know that even in these examples, just few examples that I've given, out of brokenness do come miracles, and out of brokenness comes healing. And it's just how far are you willing to go to let God break a miracle in your life? All right, amen. So the next bullet point is commitment is essential to a successful marriage. And the scripture references Genesis 24, 58 through 60. And if you're not familiar with this scripture, this is a wonderful story of three or four godly people that are so faithful, just so in tune with God. Abraham had decided it was time for Isaac to find a spouse to get married, and he wanted a person out of his own family, out of his own clan, instead of going outside of the family to the Canaanites. He wanted Isaac to have a, a spouse out of, his, out of his own family clan, so he called his top servant, who was a godly person as well, and said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to my, where my family is, and I want you to find a wife for Isaac and bring her back to me. And before the servant went out to do this, he prayed to God, and he said, God, you know, this is a pretty big order I've been given, and I want to make sure I pick the right spouse. When I get there, I want you to show me Isaac's spouse. When I go to get a drink of water from the well, I want Isaac's spouse to come to me and not only give me water, but, but also offer to water my animals as well. And that way I will know that she is from God, that she is the one that you've picked for, for Isaac. And, and that happens. He goes to the well and Rebecca comes and offers him a drink of water and offers to water the animals. And he knew right then, he said, this is, this is the one. And she offered him to come back to the house and spend the night and and he did that as well, and he spoke to her family, and he shared with the family the vision. He said, this is what I prayed for. This is what happened. And the family said, you know, let's rest on it, go to sleep. We'll, we'll talk about it in the morning. And, and the servant got up in the morning. He was so excited. He wanted to go back and tell, tell Abraham what had happened, you know, that I had prayed, the, the, vision, the vision had been fulfilled, and I am just ready to go back and share the good news. And the family was like, whoa, 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 calm down. Let's talk to Rebecca and, and share this with her. And they did. And Rebecca immediately said, yes, I'll go. I'll go. She was so bought in to the commitment with her Lord and Savior that she didn't even question what was going on. Can you imagine that today? Your, your mother, your father coming to you going, hey, I got your spouse. Go. You know, you would be like, uh-uh, no way. But that is how committed she was to her Lord and Savior, that she went. Of course, she saw Isaac later, immediately fell in love. And because of her commitment, their blessings were just enormous. Now, you probably thought I was going to talk about the commitment of one spouse to the other, but it has nothing to do with that. It was about their commitment to God. And that's what I want you to, to, to hear as far as that. If you will do that, if you will commit 100%, make God the center of your your life, make him the priority. He's going to take care of the rest. So it's all about your commitment to God and the commitment to your spouse is a second major no-brainer. Mm -hmm. And it says in there, too, that um, in that scripture, it says, and they blessed her. It said, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands, and may your offspring 
possess the cities of their enemies. So how powerful that is, you know, to be so committed to God. I mean, she had no idea what she was going to end up marrying. She didn't. But she trusted God so much that the commitment was more important, the godly commitment was more important to her than the commitment she was about to make forever. And because of that, God just blessed her enormously. Um, the next point that we have, um, I told Stacy I would take this one, is romance. Listen up, guys. Okay. <clears throat> so the, the best description of romance, I don't know if, you've, if anybody's ever studied the Song of Songs, um, but it is, it's a poem, it's poetry, and it's talking about the love that Solomon had for his beloved, for his bride. And it even uh, states in there, my sister. So I thought, mm, that's a little weird. So we had to figure that out. But apparently that was, that was how they considered each other, that that relationship was just that close. So as, we, as I was reading it, it talks about how in the Song of Songs, he studies her. He, he looks beyond just the physical appearance of her, and he studies every aspect of her. And to him, she was the most beautiful thing that, that he had ever laid eyes on. And it even states in there that at a glance, he, his heart was stolen because he immediately found her attractive and pleasing. Um, it goes on to say that um, the fragrance of her perfume was better than any spice. So in studying what that meant as far as spices, back when people were being anointed with um, holy oil, they would use spices. And those were like in high regard. They were very valued. And so for him to say that, you know, the fragrance of your perfume is better than any spice. If you think about that, you're talking about holy anointing. And so he valued her as important as the holy anointing oil that they used. And so um, it goes on to say, if you ever have a chance just to study it, it's pretty remarkable how, um, how in love he was with her. And God is not mentioned not one time in the Song of Songs, which I thought was kind of ironic too. Um, however, so it goes on to talk about the physical aspect of love, the sexual part of love, and how that is, it's very vital to have in a relationship but I think for um, in romantic relationships, it has to be based on love. And the church should pursue the model of love, which is Jesus himself, because that is who he was. He is our model for love. And this type of love is self-sacrifice, is self-giving. Um, in Ephesians, it says that to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ so if we could submit ourselves to our spouses out of reverence for Christ, that is a big deal. That is something to be highly regarded. And so um, we were looking back at our own marriage and how, you know, God just, you know, just started showing us the importance of looking past the physical part and into the heart of what love really means. And so what does your marriage look like? what, you know, our marriages reflect the love of Jesus. So if outside people are looking at your marriage, what would they see? What would that look like? Would it be the love that Jesus has for the church? Because necessarily that is what we are. We are the bride. How does that look? And um, so you can, you know, romance your spouse. You can take them to dinner and all of that great, wonderful stuff and give them flowers that Amanda loves to get. So, you know, we can do all of those things. But to truly have the romantic love, to love like Jesus loved, to love your spouse like God wants us to love, the physical aspect will always be there. So again, if you put that love first, everything else falls into place. And the thing I thought about in, in that aspect was, you know, you remember when you were dating, how excited you were about the person you were dating? God can restore that. If your marriage is dry and just needs a, a restoration, it's, 
here is just in in the the biblical relationship that will restore that to the point to where it is so exciting and you're so on fire and so in love with your spouse that's the byproduct of the pursuit of your relationship with Jesus Christ so again just I told Sandy that you know I have that feeling like we're dating all the time and that what a great feeling that is mm-hmm. To have and and that can and I am proof that, that that can happen. So again, just wanted to share that with you. The next uh, bullet point is marriage has great times of joy. And scripture is Jeremiah seven thirty four. Cindy and I laughed about this one. When you look at that scripture, it it talks about a time of 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 where God's you know not happy with the people of Judah and He's about to. Take care of business because they are just not doing the, the right things. And uh, But in there, I, I showed Sandy, I said, this is proof. This is proof right here that marriage has great joy because it says it in Scripture. It says right there that uh, even though he's going to do all these things to the people, he says right there, I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of the bride and groom. So even in all that turmoil, it shows you that there is happiness and there is joy. And there's laughter in in the marriage between the bride and the groom. But Cindy wanted to expand a little bit on those words, joy and happiness. So there's a big difference between having joy versus being happy. Um, Joy is a choice. It's a choice to have that. Happiness is circumstantial. It's based on situations. And so as situations and circumstances change, and they do very often, especially the past year that we've had, I mean, there have been changes every single day, and our happiness is determined by that. But joy is something that you choose to have. You choose to, I'm going to decide that we've got to have joy because we are going to have unhappy moments. There is no escaping that. And if, but if we have joy, then we can survive the unhappiness. We can survive the unexpected. We can survive anything as long as that is our joy. But where does our joy come from? It comes from the Lord. And it says that um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if that is our strength in anything we face, we can pull from that. And so, um, I'm talking about uh, the Bible states that if you have joy, that his strength will fill you. So anything that we go through, he will fill us with his strength. But we have to choose to have it. We have to choose to have it. And I come across so many couples and in counseling, we, we see this all the time. You know, how is your marriage? Well, we're happy. Okay, well, you're happy right now, but I guarantee you in about 45 minutes, you're not going to be happy. You know, and so they feel like, well, if we're just happy, that's enough. But it's not enough because happiness comes and goes. But joy is eternal. Joy is solid. Joy is something you wake up every day despite your circumstances, despite what you're going to go through that day because the enemy has a trap. He is ready for you. So we have to wake up every day and say, no matter what today brings, I may be mad at you by the end of the day. That's a possibility. But... We're going to choose to have joy above it all. Yeah, and joy, you know, like Cindy said, joy is is eternal, and happiness is just temporary. And you think about the relationship, Jesus, the bridegroom, and, and the church, the bride. You know, our our eternal joy is is salvation, right? And we can have that through Jesus, and we know that we're going to live forever with him, and that's where our eternal joy comes from. Even at the end in Revelation, he is coming back for us. Our bridegroom is coming back for the bride, and that's the eternal joy that we need to have. So um, in order to find joy in the relationship, we have to be dialed into the Holy Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the only way to obtain that is to have a relationship with Christ, which is what relationships are about anyway, is to have that relationship with Christ And we must allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. Any kind of thought that we have regarding our marriage that doesn't align with God's word, we need the Holy Spirit to convict us in that moment. And it states, I was talking to Jerry this morning, we were talking about expectations. 
And it says we can win joy by training our minds to expect it. And the Bible tells us all the time that when we come to Jesus, we need to come expecting, expecting the miracle, expecting that, God, you're going to show up. We don't know how. We don't know in what way, but we are expecting because you said it. I didn't say it. I didn't wake up and say that. God said, when you approach me, you come and you expect something to happen. That prayer that we just prayed for Pejo, I expect nothing less. And I'm standing on that as we all are. So when we are talking about joy, grab joy, grab it and run with it because the strength is going to be there for y'all, and it's going to be through that. And then we are going to expect nothing less. And that's what we need to do in our relationships, in our marriage relationships, is to expect nothing less than that. Yeah, that is good. All right, the next bullet point is godly marriages creates the best environment for godly offspring. Yes, so in talking about having a godly marriage, we've said numerous times up here, and we'll probably continue to say it throughout the rest of our sermon here, but you have to have God in your marriage. You ha- it will not survive. It may be tolerable. It may be okay. It may be, yeah, you know, we get along. You know, we hear that a lot. Yeah, we get along. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean you get along? You know, I can get along with anybody. Um, But what does that really mean when you're talking about, except Peyton, um, you know, what are we talking about that, um, what does that really mean? What does that really mean to have a godly um, marriage? It's to spending time with the Word, praying together, all of those things that we know to do. So um, one thing that scripture said, which is, you know, I think it's perfect, is what does the one God seek? And it says in here that he seeks godly offspring. Well, the only way you're going to have godly offspring is to have a godly marriage because your children are watching everything you do. If, if you're in an abusive relationship, they're going to do one of two things. They're going to abuse or they're going to be okay with being abused because mom and dad are being abused. Um, If husband and wife spend separate lives together where, you know, um, the husband, and I'll just say it, you know, sleeps in another room, to me, I've just, we have, never we've never agreed with that we've said no matter what because that marriage bed is important it is vital and when you're separated from it the enemy will wreak havoc on your mind throughout the night and so we decided a long time ago no matter how mad we were and believe me there were some moments um thought about the pillow no um you know there were moments but we never slept separate from each other Never. And, um, but, you know, if it, whatever atmosphere your kids are being raised in, they're going to create it in their own home because that they, they believe us as parents. They believe that what we do is solid. So, well, hey, you know, I watched my mom get hit, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to hit. Or, or even, you know, the dad being abused or verbally abusive. So whatever that looks like, you know, ask yourself, what kind of marriage are, are my children seeing? Because, you know, as our kids get older, they start dating. They start, you know, um, taking girls out and all that. And it begins in that moment. You know, we teach our children to ask the vital questions. Um, I'm just going to call Chase out. I'm sorry, son, but, <laughs> you know, he... So he, he's got this girlfriend, and I'm so sorry, Kara, but you're just a perfect example. My first question to him when he said, you know, Mom, can I take Kara out, was, first of all, who's Kara? Um, you know, he's, this girl that I'm seeing, the first question I asked him, does she go to church? And he said, yes. I said, okay, we're good. We're good. That's all I needed to worry about because I knew that she, was, that she had 
church inside of her. So I knew that that relationship had already a positive on a positive note that they were starting this relationship on a good note. Pastor Shane has said before, and when he said it, I kind of laugh, but now that I'm in it, I can see what he's talking about, that his first question is, do they go to church and do they tithe? Yes. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, if Kara had a job, I probably would have asked that, but that's okay. But as we start, you know, as our children start to date, we need to ask those questions. And, you know, my, my dad says, you don't need to worry about stuff like that. That's for them to decide. No, it's not. It is our responsibility as parents to show our kids what a godly marriage looks like because you will avoid landmines. You will avoid issues that other people that other people have. You know, we have I have a friend that says, you know, I just can't understand how, you know, your kids have no desire to go to parties on the weekends and they don't and they never have. Jake never did. And it was nothing that we did but show them God in our marriage and what that looks like. And it was never desired by them. So it is vital that we have that relationship with Christ. And we're going to say it 15 more times because it's in here. But, but that's why you're, it will make your marriage relationship so much easier and simpler to not have to fight those battles. If you will raise your children to have a relationship, to love God... One of the things we always say is, as parents, we try to figure out what our kids need as far as clothes and sports and, and cars and whatever it is. We forget about their spiritual needs. We need to anticipate what their next spiritual need is as they walk out their relationship, as they walk out their journey. And if we will do that, then we will raise godly children, and that will make your, your marriage so much easier. We laugh about the times before when we weren't doing correctly and how chaotic our house was and how the crying and the screaming and and the kids were just miserable as we were as well compared to now it's just oh man we're just so blessed so thankful um and it's not anything that we did it's what god did through us to help them build their own relationship and now what god's doing in their lives and it just has made everything so much better so much easier as far as our marriage relationship and the enemy is after our kids. They're after our, at more than ever before, um, they are really after our kids. And so we've got to be, you know, and, and it's okay to ask the hard questions. It's okay. My kids know nothing is off the table. We are open about everything. It's embarrassing to them sometimes, but sometimes, but we have to be that involved. We have to be, because if we're not, we may be the only God they see. And when they go off to college or they go off and they, they're building their own families, then they're going to know, hey, my parents taught me that I'm to live the way the Bible says I'm to live. And they will hold up. I mean, that's in Scripture. Teach a child the way they should go. They will never fall from it, or they will always come back. But if you don't set the tone, guess who sets the tone? the outside world, and they're doomed. They're doomed. They're, they have failed before they've even started. So if, if, you know, one thing that we used to do and we need to get back in the habit of doing is praying together with our kids, praying that. Because you know what? Your kids may not know how to pray. They may have no idea how to pray. And if you don't do that with them, then they're never going to learn. So then their, their communication, the way we communicate with Jesus is through prayer. If they lose that communication, then the world will suck them in so easy. And we've watched it with so many of our friends. And, uh, you know, again, we're just blessed that, that our boys don't and will not do those things <laughs> and you know but they will have to make their own choices they will have to make those so anyway so the next bullet point is unfaithfulness breaks the bond of trust the foundation of all relationships and the scripture is Matthew 5:33, and it says again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago do not break your oath but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made and oaths and vows were man they were serious in the Bible. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, do not make an oath with someone. It was that that vitally important to him. 
Yes, and it talks about that, um, it says that God's word is his bond. So when we all think about unfaithfulness in marriage, we all go to, you know, um, one thing. We all, when you hear the word unfaithfulness, we all go back to the adultery. Well, you know what, it's, it's way more than that before the adultery hits. It's way more than that. You know, um, you're unfaithful if you're lying to your spouse. You're unfaithful if you're keeping secrets. Um, one thing that, that when we were going through our rebuilding was um, there were no secrets. There were no passwords that my husband did not know or that I did not know with him. If he wanted to see my phone or if I wanted to see his phone and he said, why do you want to see my phone? Red flag. There's something there he doesn't want me to see. So we made, and that was part of our counseling. That was actually part of it is he said, you know, he told us there are no secrets and every password that you have, he needs to know. And if you can't show it to him, then you're hiding something. So the unfaithfulness is more than just that. It is everything you're keeping from your spouse. That is unfaithfulness. And that is breaking the bond. God's word, you're breaking that bond. And when that happens, the enemy comes in and he destroys because that's what he wants to do. So when you're if, if in your marriage, if, if you cannot be open and honest, you need to figure out why. You need to figure out why can we not be honest with each other. And if you're hiding anything from your spouse, I will tell you this, and I will bet my life on it. If it's hidden, God will reveal it. He will reveal it. It may be years down the road. It may be the next day, but he will reveal it, and you don't want him to reveal it because then he's in the middle of it. So, um, And trust is, is so hard to rebuild, mm-hmm. so why go down that road, right? Get it right from the outset, and, and you don't have to, to deal with it. Just make sure that, you know, that you don't get in that situation where you have to rebuild. But God, but God is a God of restoration. So just know if you have been down that road or in that, that situation, man, God can restore. But it, we talk about tithing all the time. We tell God all the time that we believe and we trust him, right? But there's only one physical way to show him, and that's through the tithe. Other than that, it's just verbal. It's just I read, I trust, I say I trust, I say well. But that is the only physical way that you can show that you trust God to control your finances in your life, and that's through tithing. And again, that's a difficult thing. That's that's just a concept that we have to fight and battle all the time. Um, and that just shows you right there how how important and how difficult that is. So just don't don't get yourself in a situation where you have to rebuild anything. Just get it right from the get go. The next one is marriage is permanent. And the scripture is Matthew nineteen six. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And that scripture says it all right there. It's God designed. It was something that he put together. It was his joining. And we are not to separate what God, what God put together, right? Um, we look at the world today as far as what we fight as as a married couple, it is so easy to give up and to get a divorce and start over and go with someone else. You can go almost, I think, a drive-through now. You see billboards, it's $200. You can probably go through a, a, a real fast process. And that's what we're fighting as married couples. I, I know somebody right now that's been married for 23 years, and the court is actually going to allow his wife to file for an annulment like it never even existed. And the court is okay with that. That is insane. 23 years of your life just, nah, it didn't happen. That's, that's crazy. But that's the world we live in, and that's why marriage needs to be permanent. What we ask is, if you're not married, go into it with that mindset that it is God designed, it is designed to be perfect, but it is designed to be permanent. We have to show our kids, right? We have to show our kids that marriage is forever that it is permanent. It will help you if you go in with that mindset to overcome the speed bumps, right? It will help you to fight those battles like we were singing about this morning if you know that it is forever. It is a permanent thing. And that's our mission field. And again, we, we just 
our kids and our, our, our children watch everything we do. And my mother and father didn't teach me how to be married. They were married, but they didn't teach me how to be married. And we need to do that and show them that there is power in a God-designed marriage and that it is forever. You got that one, baby. <laughs> okay. All right, the next one, which kind of rolls right into this one, is ideally only death should dissolve marriage. In the scriptures, Romans 7, 2, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. And again, you talk about a marriage being permanent and being forever, but it does, you know, obviously if your spouse dies, then as it's stated in Genesis, God wants widows and widowers to be happy and find companionship, right? And to find another spouse, and that is perfectly okay, and that's how it's designed. But I wanted to show you when I was reading that about divorce, and I went back and we looked at when divorce was first talked about in the Bible, and it was in Deuteronomy, and I think it's chapter 24. But it states that in the first divorce, as it goes through the process, it's a man just gets tired of his wife and divorces her for no other reason. She goes and marries another man, and, and he gets tired of her and divorces her, and then she comes back to the original husband. And it, it just, at the end, it just says, God is so displeased with that. That is not the way it's designed to be, that it should only be by death that, that, it, that you are able to find another spouse. So, again, it goes back to the permanent. God wants marriage to be permanent, and it's displeasing to him. And I don't mean to say anything too negative, but we all know sin is horrible. But sexual sin in the Bible is an abomination to God. And that scripture just shows that that situation of just discarding somebody just because you don't like them and then allowing them to go find another and, and, and be intimate with them and then come back, it's just that is just displeasing to God. However, I will say again, but God. I know lots of people that are, that are divorced and have, and have found a, another spouse and they are God-centered in that marriage and they are fruitful and that is God's you know, he, he is a forgiver, he is a restorer, and he can do anything. So I'm not trying to say anything anything bad about any person or any divorced person. But just know when you do find that spouse, let's make it permanent, let's make it God-centered, and the blessings will be enormous. Anything you want to add to that? Mm -hmm. All right. So the next one is marriage is based on the principle, the practice of love, and not on feelings. So when we talk about um, there's the difference between um, love and, and feelings because just like joy and happiness, happiness is ever-changing, so are feelings. So you can actually have feelings for a person and not love them, which is what I think we survived on the first 14 years of our marriage was, okay, you know, I have feelings for them, but, yeah, the love thing just is not there. So that can happen, and a lot of people live marriages that way. Um, yeah, I have feelings for them. Well, you know, sometimes those feelings were not good, and if that's all we had, then, you know, what kind of marriage do we have at all? But Jesus talks about the kind of love that we're supposed to have, and that's agape love. It's unconditional, and unconditional means no matter what, no matter what you do, it's unconditional love. You can be the worst spouse ever, but if you love with agape love, it's unconditional. There's nothing your spouse can do that you would not forgive them for. And so Jesus, you know, talks about and that's the kind of love that he has for us is if you think about all the simple things that we do on a daily basis, and yet he looks at you and says, I love you anyway, but your spouse can do the very same hurtful things and you look at them and you judge them and you um, just make them feel like they are the most horrible person, then you're not loving with the love that Jesus has. And it's hard to have that. I'm, I'm be honest. I couldn't understand, oh, how can I love somebody I'm so mad at? You know, or how can, you know, he does things or I do things for him because believe me, it works both ways. 
But, you know, we had to learn agape love is something we have to choose. It's a choice. Jesus commands us to love. So it's that important that he commands. He doesn't ask us. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? It's a pretty good idea if you love. He commands you to do that. Um, Love is determined, and it says an act of will, which always results in acts of self-giving. So if you take two people who love like Jesus loves with agape love, how rich would your marriage be? And you would be so self-sacrificing. You would sacrifice every day for one another. Um, so when we, when we decide on our, our spouse or the way that we love, we need to love with the agape love that Jesus has for us. Because anything else is just a feeling. It's an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. Sadness is an emotion. But like hunger, love is a drive. It's a drive that compels us, that that wants us to do more for that other person. So when choosing your spouse, just say, you know what? I'm going to choose to love him unconditionally because Jesus, my Savior, has, has given his life for me. So how can I not love my spouse the same way? And that's a perfect segue into the next bullet point, marriage is a living symbol of Christ in the church. The scripture is Ephesians 5, 23 and 32. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And again, men, this, this is it. This is the key to everything. If you want your relationship to be better, simpler, fantastic. This is the key right here. Jesus, the bridegroom, church, the bride, like Cindy said, he loves us in a way. He loves us unconditionally, but he loves us because he is our savior. He is our shepherd. He is our provider. Men, we have to accept that godly role, that godly responsibility to be the head of our household, be the priest of our home, we have to be the provider of our family, the shepherd, the one that's responsible for leading. We have to lift up our children, assure them, make sure that they are saved, make sure that they have salvation. We have to protect them. We have to love them like Christ loves us unconditionally. We have to forgive and forget. That's a hard thing to do. But we can forgive and toss it into the sea of forgive, forgetfulness just like Jesus does for us. That is the key to everything. I've always told Cindy that when I assumed my priestly role, our marriage took off. Before that, it was just dead in the water. But as soon as I assumed that role, started to really, really build my relationship, and I started to lead my family, Everything else was just made simple. It was just a fantastic marriage. It was a fantastic family environment. But again, that's the key for us men. I mean, it's an awesome responsibility, but it's a huge responsibility that we have to lead our family, lead our household, be the priest of the home. If you do that, I mean, it's, it's going to make everything so much easier, so much better. And, you know, as we counseled couples, there would be couples in front of us that um, probably I would say... 85 to 90% of the couples that we counseled, it was always the men that refused to take that role, to take that responsibility, um, not to knock men, but um, they, you know, pride gets in the way. Pride has a good, um, a good way to come in and just, you know, men are supposed to be the stronger dominant person. And I believe that's the way God created it for the work that um, God had Adam to do, you know. Um, and women, we're more emotional. We're, we're seen as fragile, you know, and that's okay. You know, that is, that's completely okay. But I'll tell you this, if when Stacy tore down the pride that he had because it was kind of like, you know, I'm the dominant here. I'm, you know, I'm, you can't break me. That's the mentality that the world has given men is there to be this strong, powerful person. But in reality, 
um, when pride is removed off of a person, because women can be just as prideful. Women can be just as prideful. But when you break that pride off of, uh, off of you, then you allow God to come in because when you remove pride, you're weak. You're weak. And God comes in and he replaces that. He, he takes you through a process. And when pride is off of you, then you allow God to come in. And in that weak moment, God makes you strong. And then you are so full of God that pride no longer exists. And that is how, you know, you can become successful in that. But, um, but definitely uh, Jesus has to be the center of it all. So we're going to end. The last bullet point is marriage is good and honorable. And I'm just going to read it because it says it. I couldn't even try to paraphrase it. Um, but it says, and this is Hebrews 13, 4. It says, giving honor to marriage will require the utmost in Christian conviction and sensitivity. Modern social theory may redefine family and the new definitions may be far from its biblical foundation. What can you do? Witness to the depth of God's love for you by keeping your marriage happy and strong. Remain faithful in body and in mind. Pray for your spouse. Honor biblical marriage, consenting man and woman unions, which is trying to get changed as we speak. Um, by resisting political pressure to recognize and legalize other sexual preferences. So God knew what was coming. He knew what this world was in for. And he already stated in his word how to stay faithful. Teach children the biblical meaning of marriage. We, just like Stacy said earlier, we teach our children all kinds of things, but we don't teach them how to be married. We don't teach them that. Pray early for their own eventual spouses and families. For when Chase and Andrew were just babies and Jake, I can remember sitting there holding them as infants, praying for their spouse. At that moment, I prayed that they would only have, you know, godly women in their life. Make marriage enrichment the goal of your small group discussions and study, which is what we're about to embark on here tomorrow night, as a matter of fact. And encourage the marriages around you to stay strong as well. We have said a mouthful today, and I know it's a lot, but I have to, I would be wrong if I didn't end it in this fashion. And that is, you can have all of this. All of this is, is for you to have. But you have to have Jesus in the center. You have to have a relationship with him or else you are not going to know how to steer your children or how to steer yourself or how to be there for your spouse, how to encourage your spouse. None of that will be attainable until you have a relationship with Jesus Christ who shows you each and every day the foundation you are to build your marriages not just your marriage relationship, but any relationship that you have. So in order for that to even happen, you have to be committed and commit your marriage to God. If you haven't done that in the past and you want to do that, decide today, you know what? From here on, I'm going to love with agape love. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose things that are eternal. This, this world doesn't matter. This world does not matter what you have. You can have the best of everything. But if you don't have God, you have nothing. Because none of this is going with you. Nothing is going with you. But believe me, the legacy that you leave your children will speak volumes on what kind of lifestyle and godly marriage you had in your home. Shane, Pastor Shane's about to lead us to an altar call. And I just want to say that was the first thing Cindy and I did when we decided to turn our marriage around is we gave it all to God. We just put it at his feet and said, we've been trying and trying for 12 to 14 years and it's just been a huge failure. And I need you, God. I need you to be in control of my marriage and control of my life. And so we laid it down at his feet. And I would just ask you today to consider if you are struggling and you want a restoration in your marriage, give it to God, lay it at his feet. If you're a man that's not leading your household and you want to start leading your household, 
Come lay it at his feet. God loves us. God wants the best for us. We just have to just allow him to take it. And that means swallowing our pride, laying it at his feet. We love you guys. Amen. Why don't you stand with us this morning? So I just want to pray for all the married couples to start with. And so if you're, if you're married and you're saying, you know, Shane, I heard what all they said, and I, I need my marriage to be restored. I was talking to someone um, several weeks ago who's going through a, a, a relational battle in their family, and they were praying for reconciliation. And I said, you know, the thing about reconciliation is that it means to come back to the way things were. And that's, that's how a lot of us have a tendency to be. We look on our dating life. We look on the, the engagement time. We look on those first years of marriage, honeymoon, and post-honeymoon. And we're like, man, can I just get back to the way things used to be? But God doesn't want you to go back. He wants you to keep moving forward. And so I want to pray over some married couples who would say, Shane, I just, I need my marriage to be restored. I need it to be healed. I need it to be made whole again. And so I just want to ask that you would just stay right where you are. You can lift your hands up. You can hug your spouse. And I just want to, I just want to speak blessing over you. I want to pray for you. And then I'm going to pray for some single folks. So God, we just come to you right now, Father, thanking you, Lord, for giving us the greatest example of what marriage needs to look like. So, Father, I just want to ask, Lord, that you would just touch these marriages, Father. God, we don't want to go back to the way things were. Even though the good old days were what they were, even though dating was so much fun, God, I want to move forward with you. God, I, I want something fresh. I want something new. Lord, I pray that you would begin to restore love, restore compassion, restore faithfulness, restore mercy. Restore forgiveness. Restore an humble heart within them. Restore a heart of gratitude. God, that they may wake up tomorrow and look at their spouse and be grateful for the gift that you gave them. God, and what's happened yesterday, what's happened last week, God, I pray, Father, that you would give us a heart and a spirit of forgiveness. Lord, that whatever hardship my wife or my husband has caused this marriage, from this moment, it'll be forgiven. Now, some of you are going to have to say that out loud so you can believe it yourself. God, give me a heart of forgiveness. Come on, just say that right now. Say, Lord, just give me a heart of forgiveness. Lord, give me a heart of gratitude, mercy, compassion, peace, and joy, faithfulness. Lord, give us a heart of self-control. And God, bring wholeness to the marriages, Lord. And God, I pray, Father, for some single people. Come on, if you're single looking for a spouse, just raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. My eyes are closed too. Lord, I pray, God, for these single people in this place today. God, you know, Father, the loneliness that they endure day after day after day. Father, the questions that they have to ask themselves, God, am I good enough? What's wrong with me? Why am I broken? Why don't people want me? Why do my dates never work out? I'm tired of swiping right. I'm tired of going to every dating website. It's not working anymore. 
Come on, you feel that in your spirit right now. Lord, I pray, God, that you would let them know that you created them whole, Father. Father, you didn't, com- you didn't create them to complete somebody else, and you didn't create somebody else to complete them. God, you made us whole and complete from the beginning, and the only thing that complete us is you. But God, when they find that other person that is right for them, it would complement who they already are in you. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would help them, Father, to remain faithful to you, And help them, God, to seek after your face in making themselves the best bride or the best husband that they can possibly be. And Lord, I pray, Father, for someone here who's lost and doesn't know you. God, they're struggling in their sin. They feel like just giving up. They feel like they're not good enough. They they don't even know why they're here this morning, but something compelled them. Father, there's a void in their heart. And I pray, God, that you would touch them right there in their spirit in the name of Jesus. And all across this house, we're going to pray this prayer of salvation together. And if you're here and you say, Shane, that's me. I need to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior because right now I'm not so sure that I would make it to heaven. And you want to set that in stone. You want to secure your salvation with Jesus Christ and set up your eternal home forever. I want you to pray this prayer like your life depends on it because it does. Your life is never going to be the same after this moment. So all over the house, let's pray this together. Just say, Dear God in heaven, I come to you now surrendering my life. I am no longer mine. I'm yours. I give everything to you. My life, my ambition, my dreams, my goals, my spouse, my marriage, and the future spouse that you have for me. I love you, Lord. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new again. In this moment, right now, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, let's celebrate with those who received Jesus this morning. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Verb Church Podcast. We would love to help you take your next steps. If you made a decision to follow Christ, would like to be baptized, or are ready to connect with us, head over to myverb.church forward slash next steps and fill out our digital connect card. Our team will follow up and help you guide you on your journey with Christ.